Good morning. Um, there's enough faces here I don't recognize that it's probably worth saying who I am. Um, my name's Al. I'm one of the leaders here. And it is fantastic to see a bunch of people I don't recognize. I'd love to meet you. It could be that you've been here for lots of weeks. I've actually been out either um, serving with the kids' teams or on holiday um, for several of the last weeks. So sorry if you're not actually new and I just think you are. Um, but there we go. I'm super excited to be up here, like really super excited, um, because we're going to dig into the Word of God. And I've had just a brilliant summer in which we've had uh, a lot of the young people over to our house every week. And we've just been working our way through the book of Romans, just digging into the, to the text and seeing all the amazing things that we learn there about, um, about God. And it's just reminded me how good it is to just focus in on a bit of God's word and, and read it through and digest it and learn from it and obey it and talk with each other about how we're obeying it. And, uh, and we get to do that again this morning. So I'm really excited. Uh, we're in this series called In Christ. Um, you can see a little taster underneath of some of, the, some of the words we might be looking at. Chosen, called, saved, fruitful, resting, loved. If that doesn't make you excited, then uh, you probably need like a, you know, defib or something to, to wake your heart back up. Um, we, we have different styles of preaching, don't we? Um, sometimes we look at life themes, you know, what does the Bible say about worship or prayer or money? That's, that's really important, you know, get an idea of what God says about a whole kind of swathe of life. Sometimes we work through books. We just talked about that Roman study we've done with some of the youth over the summer. We did two Thessalonians here earlier in the year. Um, a couple of years ago, we went through the whole book of Luke. It took us most of the year, didn't it, I think? It was great. Sat under Jesus' teaching, learned more about what he was like. Um, but actually, what we're going into is a few weeks of doing some more expository teaching. So we're going to look at some key passages about the theme of being in Christ. And we're just going to work through them sort of line by line and, and find out all the richness that's in there. And this whole idea of being in Christ is particularly dear to me because um, aged 14, I became a Christian. I wasn't brought up as a Christian. Um, I was on a church weekend away. They'd kind of got me along because uh, they were my best friends, frankly. And uh, I don't even remember what it was that the person was preaching or even if it was during a song. I don't remember what was going on around me. I just know what was going on in me that on a Saturday afternoon on this church weekend away, I suddenly knew that I wanted to give my life to Jesus. And I broke down into tears, and my friend's uh, mum was sitting beside me, and she prayed with me and, and took me through what it was to give my life to Jesus. And the following day, the Sunday morning, we were driving back. The sun was shining. We were in a fairly old Ford Escort. Uh, I was in the back with my head on the parcel shelf, and I just remember feeling like I was a totally new person, Burdens had been lifted off me, and I, I won't say it was always gone forever, but a whole bunch of that teenage angst went out the door, which was really, really welcome. Um, and I just, I felt like I was new. And I, I, you know, if I'm speaking about this and you, you resonate with that feeling, you know, hold on to that. We shouldn't lose that wonder of what God did in that moment when we were born again. And it wasn't until much, much later, because I didn't know the scriptures very well at all, it wasn't until much later that somebody told me that actually Paul talks about exactly this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. It's an incredible verse. But what does it mean? Right, the new creation bit, okay, I, I've described a little bit of what that felt like. What does it mean to be in Christ? Perhaps some of you saying in's a little bit obvious. I just want to give you a little illustration. Okay, this, this fictional story illustrates problems with the word in. Um, it is fictional, I stress, before my sister-in-law um, has something to say to me. I was in the lounge eating chocolates in a tracksuit and watching the cricket. Root and Stokes were in. When my sister-in-law came in, 
She'd been in town looking for a pashmina. They seemed to be quite in at the moment. But apparently the store didn't have any in till the end of the week, she told me in scandalized tones. I thought, oh no, I'm in for a long one here. In that her years in the legal profession had made her long-winded in all her explanations. Something must have shown in my expression because she strode over to me, her face suddenly clouded in anger. I'm in for it now, I thought. In a flash, she snapped my chocolate bar in half, popped one half in while I watched in shock. <laughs> now, if you're a native English speaker or fluent in English, it won't have bothered you that out of those 20 different uses of the word in, I meant nine different things. But we're not all native Greek speakers, so it shouldn't surprise us that when we read big passages where Paul talks about something being in Christ or somebody being in Christ, that sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking to work out what he means. So, what we're going to look at today is a little bit of the, the how of being in Christ. How does it work to be in Christ? What does it mean for something to be ours in Christ? A little bit of the who, who is in Christ? And then lastly, the what next? of being in Christ, and that'll be a little bit of a foretaste of what's to come in, in the next two weeks as well. So without further ado, I want to go to one of the best passages for looking at what it means to be in Christ, which is Ephesians 1. Um, it's worth you turning there. I don't have it up, sorry. It's worth you turning there because we're going to look at it in some depth. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 3. And what I'm going to do is we're just going to work through verse by verse, and it's not going to fit neatly into you know, three headings beginning with the same letter or something. This is more a let's grasp everything that God says and let's let it warm our hearts and remind us of who our God is. So here we go. Okay. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What a great start. I just want to start by naming, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All good theology leads to worship. If we really grasp more of what God is like, he is lifted up in our estimation and our hearts respond by worshipping. Paul puts it right here at the beginning. If we're really grasping who God is, if we're really doing business with the Bible, or if we're doing, as we talk with other people about what God's like, it should cause our hearts to worship. And if it doesn't, we're not really getting the truth of it, because Jesus is good news to everyone. Okay, so all good theology starts with worship, but he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That sounds pretty broad, doesn't it? Think of a blessing. Is it spiritual? It's ours in Christ. And at one level, it's that simple. I want to dig into a little bit of what those spiritual blessings might be. And I want to look at what it means for them to be in Christ. And the clue here is that this is in the past. Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's already happened. And this points us back to the historical work of Christ. And we might think that's just his death on the cross. That's definitely absolutely key to it. I found this, um, this is a painting of the life of Christ on a church in Italy. It's a, right across a wall at the front of the church. And you'll see like sort of front and center is the death of Christ on the cross. And that is absolutely pivotal. And yet, in the background, you've got all these other scenes as well from his life. You see, Christ's finished work isn't just his death. He came to earth. He was born as a baby. God came close. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was chatting to Re, to you. Um, I hope I tell this story right. It's, it's embedded in my head in a certain way. Um, and you were telling me you'd been at a railway station in India and God had told you to go over and pray with this woman who was a Hindu. 
And, um, and having prayed with her, God gave you a word for her, and he said, you've gone looking for many gods, but there's only one God who's come looking for you. Is that right? That's how I remembered it, yes. And it's incredible, isn't it? That God wouldn't stay distant, but he would come looking for his people. You want to know what God's like? He doesn't stand at arm's length. He comes close. He relates to us. He made himself nothing. That's part of the finished work of Christ. He lived. And how did he live? Well, read the Gospels. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible how he lived. He, he showed what it was like to live in relationship with God, to do what was right, to be challenging in his words and his actions and his deeds. He, he was just incredible in how he lived, and we can set our hearts on being more like Christ. He's a model to us. He taught, and he showed us what God's like, and he showed us what the kingdom of God's like. So the teaching is part of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. We've got his birth, we've got his life, his teaching, and then we've got his death, haven't we? And in Christ's death, we can be reconciled with God. What a spiritual blessing that is. I have nothing in me that makes me deserve relationship with God. And yet through the finished work of Christ on the cross, that spiritual blessing of being able to come close to God is mine and yours. And he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the dead. And so we have a spiritual blessing of hope. Jesus overcame the grave. The one thing that is even more certain than taxes is death. And Jesus overcame it. And he showed that we too can overcome it if we are in Christ. It's wonderful. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And not only that, not only did he rise from the dead, but then he ascended into heaven and scriptures say that he is still there interceding for us, advocating for us, looking for us to be blessed at the right hand of the Father. So every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means in this case, in the historic work of what Christ has done, and also his eternal presence next to the Father advocating for us. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. I'm going to move on to the next verse. Um, just to say, as you're reading, you'll see lots of he's and hymns because it's a long sentence. It makes it a bit more complicated because you have to remember what they refer to. So I'm going to substitute God and Christ. It means it'll just look slightly different from what you're reading. Let's go on. So, for God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in God's sight. What a statement. Before the beginning of the world. What does it mean for God to choose us in Christ? Now here we get our hands a little bit dirty with the Trinity. I don't, I can't, no, I don't want to say that. That sounds wrong. Sorry. We, get our, we, we have to deal with, we have to grapple with the, the Trinity. What does it mean for God to choose us in Christ? Well, there's another truth here for us to realize, and this is an amazing one, which is that it was always God's intent to do all the things that he has done with humanity through Christ. Now, why would that be? Well, there's something of God's glory that is expressed not only in God's sovereignty, but also in God choosing to be humble, in, God choosing, in Christ choosing to submit. So it's more glorious. We need to get our heads around this. It's more glorious for a sovereign God to decree and for Christ the Son to obey, for God to count the cost and for Christ the Son to willingly pay it, than it is for God just to somehow do it. 
There's glory both in that strength and in that choice to submit. There's glory in that counting the cost and in the sacrifice. And it was always God's plan A to do this. Christ was not, you know, sort of sent to earth just as a plan B because the first thing didn't work out. It's always been God's plan to relate to us in this way and in that process to show his glory in strength and sovereignty and his glory in humility and sacrifice. And that's incredible. We get to emulate the Christ side of that more than the God side, don't we? We don't get to be sovereign. That's just as well. But we do get to submit. We do get to sacrifice. Not as much as Christ, but we do. So we get to emulate some of that. And in that, we get to participate in some of God's glory, which is incredible. So here, in Christ, means Christ is the mediator. Christ is the means, the plan A. And what's the plan A? The plan A is for us to be holy and blameless. Now, that's brilliant, because it means that God's intent is not to have levers on us. God's intent is not to have dirt on us so that he can force us to do anything. God isn't looking to kind of win some kind of blackmail relationship over us. God's intent is for us to be holy and blameless so that there is nothing compelling us other than love for Christ. He doesn't want some kind of relationship where he's pulling the levers on us to force us to obey. In fact, there's a psalm which says, don't be like the the horse which needs a bit and bridle to control it. What God wants is for us to be holy and blameless and instead to choose out of love for him, to obey him and to please him. This is incredible. Okay, so we're chosen in Christ, having been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Let's move on to the next bit. Okay, in love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. We've already said Christ was always the plan A. Um, What does it mean to be adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ? I know it doesn't say in, but do you know what? It's the same thing, isn't it? So, oh, your one says in. There you go. Jesus' one says in, so I'm allowed to preach on it. Good. Okay. Now, I want to make a comparison here between Jesus and the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. This is the best one I could find of a slightly sulky older brother standing off to one side. Because in this story, the younger son dishonors his father by asking for the inheritance, essentially saying, wish you were dead, goes off, treats it as worthless by squandering it, ends up in a rubbish place, and comes to the end of himself, and then he goes back, and the father greets him with open arms, and the older brother stands there sulking. And Jesus tells this parable in a really pointed way, doesn't he? He tells it, pointing at those people who did not want sinners to come back to Christ and repent and be changed. But compare that to Christ. Christ is our older brother. (laughs) And he didn't leave us to come to the end of ourselves and come back and then sit there sulking and saying, oh, I have to share my inheritance. Quite the opposite. Christ wanted us to be adopted as sons. And he has come to us in our rubbish, in the pigsty, as it is in the story. And he has spoken truth to us and he has rescued us and brought us back to the Father. We were predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has affected that mediation. Jesus Christ has affected that reconciliation and brought us back to God. It's incredible. It's wonderful. I wouldn't be doing justice to the text if I didn't mention this word predestined. That's caused a lot of grief to a lot of people, hasn't it? 
just briefly, and I'm happy to have a longer conversation about this. Predestined, there are some things that it definitely means, there are some things it definitely doesn't mean, but ultimately there is a mystery here. And we do find mysteries in the Word of God, and that's okay, because we cannot get our heads around everything about God. It's just not possible. There are some things where it's right to probe, it's right to ask questions, and yet you will still come back without a totally complete cut-and-dried answer, and this is one of them. I want to suggest there's two things it can't mean. First of all, it cannot mean that God has no say, that the decision about whether or not we follow Christ is all down to us. Just can't mean that, can it? He predestined us for adoption to sonship. And every time we read about the sovereignty of God, we read that he has a say in this. That's really important. Come back to that in a second. There's something else it can't mean. It can't mean that we have no say in the matter. Now, that's really important. Jesus teaches as though people he's listening to have a choice. He implores them to make certain decisions, and not just Jesus, but the prophets throughout the Old Testament. And Paul and other apostles in the New Testament, they appeal to you as somebody who has free will to choose Christ. In fact, at one point in the Old Testament, Moses commands that all the people of Israel should split into two groups on two different mountains, and one of them proclaims a whole bunch of blessings, and the other proclaims a whole bunch of curses without God, and says, now choose, which one are you going to do? So it cannot mean that we have no choice in the matter either. And what we learn from that is two important things. First of all, we can still pray that people come to God because God has some say in the matter. God is sovereign. And so if you're in the habit of praying, Father, please would you help so-and-so to see the truth that's in you and to choose to follow you, that's a valid prayer. And you can get really caught up in this passage and think, oh, well, you know, God's already decided it all and there's nothing I can do to pray and, you know, why should I bother? Actually, that doesn't do um, justice to the text. Likewise, we can also appeal to people, as Paul does. And we can say, listen, here's the truth. Here's the truth about Jesus. And we can expect people to respond and to say yes to Christ. And that's important. So because they have some say in the matter, we can appeal to people to choose God. Two things that we can know. We can pray for people to come to Christ. And we can appeal to them and expect them to make good choices to follow him as well. Okay, enough on predestined. I'm really happy to have a conversation about some of the other tricky texts on that if you want afterwards. Okay, to the praise of God's glorious grace, which God has freely given us in Christ, whom God loves. In Christ, we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that God lavished on us. I'm sorry, this is the reason that I have not read Ephesians 1 for many, many years. It gets complicated and you have to unpick it. It's really worth doing. I'm, I feel like in preparing this, I've kind of, I've, I've come to terms with really enjoying this passage rather than just going, oh, I don't quite get what it means. Um, it does take several readings. You may want to go back to this and, and read it again yourself. But the key thing here is that all of this that God planned to do in Christ and in giving us spiritual blessings in Christ it was all done so that we would realize and praise God's grace. We deserved wrath. We deserved judgment. And instead of that, we get Christ. And all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ, the hope, the reconciliation, the knowledge that God has come near, all those things we talked about, instead of wrath, we get Christ. And that is amazing. And that grace deserves praise. So all of this was done so that we realize what God's grace is like and value it. 
For the sake of getting through um, to the end of this particular passage, I'm, I'm going to go slightly quicker over the next couple of bits. With all wisdom and understanding, God purposed this all in Christ. It's a summary of the next little bit. It's true, we've said this already. God knew everything that was going to happen, and he still chose to do this in Christ. He's always been the plan A. This matters because at the time Paul's writing, and some of you will know this if you've ever read any of the Greek myths and legends, their idea of gods were largely these kind of, frankly, they were just humans with superpowers. They, they did all the, kind of, all the rubbish stuff that we do. They changed their minds. They misbehaved. They got themselves into scrapes and had to get themselves out of it and did it badly. And that was quite often what people thought gods were like. And Paul says, no, our God, before the creation of the world, he decided what it was going to be like. He doesn't change in his character. He's always all good. He doesn't change in his plans because it was the best plan from the beginning. He doesn't get caught off guard because he knows everything. So we might perhaps, with, with our more monotheistic outlook, not get the value of what he's saying here, but it really matters that before the foundation of the world, all of this was purposed in Christ. And this plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, skipping down a little bit further. God's ultimate plan is for everything to be brought under Christ. And that includes us, and that includes all of creation. And in aligning ourselves with that, we are going with the flow of God's plan. And there's a rightness and a peace that comes from uniting ourselves with Christ like that. Okay, we're down to verse 11. I want to pause here for a minute. In Christ, we were also chosen... And then if you follow down further, you also were included in Christ. You were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Um, this in Christ, we were chosen, you were included, could mean a couple of things. It could be Paul talking about, you know, we the apostles were chosen to start with, to preach the word, you were then included. It could mean we the Jewish people were chosen, you the Gentiles were then included. It's unclear which it means. I imagine his readers would have got it from context uh, we can't necessarily, but either way it works. Critically, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I resisted the urge to put a, a swimming seal up there. Um, I thought the levity might detract from the message, um, but then ruined it by mentioning it anyway. <laughs> but how are, we, how are we marked you know, when you mark wax like this, it's soft. You've just melted it. When you put the seal on it, it goes deep, doesn't it? It goes really deep. Um, my dad makes pots, and if he puts his little... He's got a little seal on his ring, which he uses to mark them. And if he puts it on when it's started drying already, the seal doesn't go that deep. And some of them, you can still see it, but not very much. Some of them he puts it on when it's really wet, and it's a really deep. You can, you know, feel it just by rubbing your finger over. I want to say... God has marked everybody who is in Christ with the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask, how deep is that mark? How soft is our heart to Christ putting his mark on us? And also, how visible is it? Do we go around kind of hiding it, hiding that mark of Christ on us? Um, or do we put it on display? You see, there was an old mark that God used to use for relating to his people called circumcision. And it was simple. The guys would have their foreskin cut off when they were eight days old, and they would be marked for life. And if you became a Jew as an adult or became brought into the Jewish people as an adult, then you had it done then. Slightly more painful. And if you were a woman, you didn't get one. You were included by association with the men. That was how it was. And it was also 
under most circumstances, you'd presume a pretty private mark. You'd imagine not many people, other than knowing that you would, would actually have seen it. The Holy Spirit is different. The Holy Spirit is a public mark, and it's for everyone. Man, woman, young and old. How is the mark of the Holy Spirit visible? What does it mean to be marked in Christ? Well, a couple of suggestions. First of all, when we're in Christ, and when the Holy Spirit lives in us, there's fruit. Who here knows the song about the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah? Got some nods over here. Who, who, who backs themselves to say all nine? Melissa, come on then. Oh, got, yeah, go on then. We need a microphone. Hello. You can sing if you like. Okay. Um, I think they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Awesome. Good skills. Well done. You can find it on YouTube if you want to uh, learn it for yourself. So are we excelling in love? Can people at work see that despite being in a stressful workplace as a nurse or an OT or whatever it might be, that you exhibit peace in your life because you have Christ in your heart, because the mark of Christ is on you? Can you be self-controlled as a young person choosing to act rightly in your relationships or with your anger? Is that fruit on display? And then not just fruit, but also gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts And he doesn't just give them for fun. He gives them so that we can serve the people of God and also see others come into the people of God. Are our gifts on display? Christ has marked us as his with the Holy Spirit. So if he's given us a gift of leadership, are we leading? If he's given us a gift of administration, are we serving others by administering? If he's given us a gift of giving, are we being generous? If he's given us a gift of prophecy, are we speaking God's words to others with humility and love? And I could go on. We are marked in Christ with a seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in summary of the how of being in Christ, we've a whole load of spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ because of what Christ has already done. This focal point in history in which Jesus' birth and life, death, resurrection and ascension feature. We have adoption as children through the medium of Christ, the suffering servant who came to make it work, who came to bring about this reconciliation. And we've been marked as being in Christ by being given the Holy Spirit. So what about the who? Who is in Christ? I've missed out the verse, I'm sorry. There's a fantastic verse which comes up in the prophet Joel and is then quoted in both Acts and and the book of Romans. And he talks about this new age when people are in Christ um, in in all kinds of terms. He talks about young people seeing um, visions and old people dreaming dreams and God pouring out his spirit on all people. And it finishes with this, and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter talks about it at Pentecost. He refers back to this. Paul talks about it again in Romans when he talks about the need to take the message to everybody. And... The simple answer is anyone who will take hold of it, who wants to be, who wants to be in Christ. And I wanted to say this because I I realize in a public meeting like this, there's a good chance that someone here has been hearing this and thinking, I want this, but I don't have it. And I want to encourage you that if you do not 
know that you're in Christ. You can be. I told you about how I didn't necessarily quite know the fullness of everything that was going on around me, but I had a heart response that said, I want to be in Christ. And somebody explained to me the basics of it. And I just want to do that. And the basics of it are, we say, I give up my life, my running of it, which hasn't gone quite so well. Um, I give up my right to do things my way. I'm sorry for it, in fact, God, because you know I shouldn't have been doing this without you. And instead, I want to make you the Lord. I want to put you in charge. And I want to live for you. So if that's you, and if you're resonating with this, I, I, I just want to invite you just to say that now, either quietly in your heart or out loud, or you shout it for all I care, why not? But you can be in Christ. His intent is not to exclude anyone, but rather to see all people turn to him. The question's less who is in Christ and more who wants to be in Christ. Will you say yes? Amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. That's wonderful. Could, could we pray at the end together as well? That, would that be all right? Wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? It's, it... Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Which brings us back to this. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The passage this is in is 2 Corinthians 5. Do turn there if you want. It doesn't just stand on its own. This comes in a whole sort of suite of what God has been saying. We've been born again, he says. And having been born again spiritually, we're waiting for the old body to wear out before we get the new one. He says, and we try, therefore, to help everybody to realize how amazing this is. He calls it the ministry of reconciliation. He said, having been blessed in all these ways and being in Christ, we try to help other people get how amazing it is. And we can't just see them in terms of their short earthly life, he says, because that's just page one of the book that keeps going on forever. So he says, we can't see anybody that in that worldly way because we see their potential, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Now, if you really believe something, that causes you to act. And this is where I just want to give us a foretaste of where we're going next as well, because in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be fruitful in Christ. And if we are in Christ, that's not a static place to be. We're not just in Christ sitting, what was it, Lynn, you said, sitting back in your passenger seat and going, isn't it great that I'm in Christ? In the metaphor, Jesus might be in the driving seat, but we're involved and we're looking around us. We get to live as ambassadors. An ambassador isn't coerced into being an ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who is so pleased to represent their country that they want to talk about it to other people and they want to represent that country amongst others. At least that's the theory of it. Maybe it doesn't always work that way in this world. But if we are so, so excited that we can be in Christ and all that that means, then we carry that to other people just because why wouldn't you want to be in Christ? Come and join in. Come and be in Christ. It's better in every possible way. So I want to encourage you over the next week or two to commit to rereading this passage of either 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 1. 
If you want to go for a slightly longer one, why not read Romans 1 through 8, which also gives you an idea of this. But to reread some of these key passages about being in Christ and just to go, God, would you bring this back to life for me? If you feel like actually there's a bit more stirring to do, to realize how amazing it is to be in Christ so that there's that motivation to go out and bring others in, then why not reread the scriptures and allow that truth to burn in you? And ultimately, we hope this will result in praise for Jesus Christ in our hearts and in the hearts of others. It's amazing to be in Christ. Um, Can I just pray to finish and I'm going to hand back to Simon. God, thank you that it's always been your plan to come to earth to live an exemplary life, to teach us what you're like, to die, to overcome the grave and to be raised to new life. Thank you that it's always been your plan to draw us close for adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. We're grateful for that and we pray that you would remind us of all the wonder and joy of being in Christ. God, we pray it wouldn't be something that we're just reminded of now, but something that sticks with us day by day and week by week. Thank you that although we didn't deserve any of it, you have given us Christ and drawn us into relationship with you. Amen.